Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and follow on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing and McKenzieBrewing.com to check out their lineup of award-winning craft beers. Got a great show today, PGF Nation. Going to start by weighing in on an NFL headline that everyone is talking about. We're going to give you our thoughts on that. We're going to talk about the two biggest upsets in the top 10 in college football last week and some big games from week four of the NFL. Give you my updated PGF power rankings of the top 10 teams in the NFL right now. Let Ty tell you where I'm right or where I'm wrong. And of course, we'll end the show with our pick six segment where we'll pick our six best bets of the weekend ahead excited to be joined by radio and podcast legend my co-host tyrone powell what is up ty nothing much man ready for another extravaganza here at pgf football thank you for everybody that's been giving us insight giving us comments checking us out on ig and other different social medias i know that we've been dealing with crashes but stay tuned we got another exciting show ready for you Man, do we ever, Ty. I'm always excited to do this with you, man. I'm always excited to come in here and do another show, talk about what's going on, because it just keeps getting better. Football, NFL, and college football are the gift that just keeps on giving. But we've got a headline that I think we got to address here first, Ty. And I talked about it there in the intro. This Urban Meyer story is disturbing let's put it that way because there's two viral videos that have surfaced of urban meyer with a young woman at his bar in columbus ohio one where the woman is dancing in his lap the other let's just say of him touching her backside i'm gonna keep it pg-13 here ty now he apologized to his team his family and staff for quote being a distraction being a distraction you think the crazy part about this situation is I know they had a shortened week, so I guess he gets a little time away, but he has to be focused because he doesn't have a win on the board. Um, They came close in trying to put that together in Ohio up against the Bengals, where they did a good job, lost by a field goal. However, he's back home near that Columbus, Ohio region, so I guess the comfort zone is to go back to his bar and kind of take some time off because he probably has an extended amount of time being having a short week of playing on Thursday night. Doesn't explain a lot to his actions. Watching the video, the way that he's doing it, he has his hand in front of his seat, like he's holding the space between, you know, both of his legs to kind of like, I guess, shield her away from him. Like, that's the only, you know, graces I'm trying to give him because he is married. But um, nevertheless, if, if she's actually a bother or making this look like a situation, like tell her to get away from you because your wife isn't there and you wouldn't do it if she's there, so on and so forth. And knowing that this is something that's going to follow you forever until you actually start putting wins together or you end up checking out and retiring again due to things that may not uh, come out fortunately for this next this season or next season and um, you probably not being able to hack the job because a lot of people are already having their questions about you. But it does look bad. Yeah, you hit on it, Ty. He's a married man. This type of stuff, you can't have this. When you're the face and the coach of a billion-dollar franchise, you got to be smarter than this. I understand that you want to go to the bar. You want to blow off some steam. I understand that because of your celebrity status that young women and people like that are going to approach you, maybe try to dance with you. But you have to be aware of what you're doing and that you are the face of this team in so many ways. I know Trevor Lawrence is a quarterback and he's kind of become the face, but you're still the head coach and the CEO, so to speak, of this team. And Ty, for me, this is the second huge mistake by him off the field. The first was when he hired former Iowa strength coach Chris Doyle, who was accused of making racist remarks towards his players. How do you make such a colossal mistake to hire a guy like that? What does that say about you? What does it say about your character? And now you have this, you're 0-4, you're clearly underachieved at this point. It's just a bad look, Ty. It's, it's more than a bad look. It's poor leadership by a guy in a leadership position. You talked about the Jaguars 0-4 with one of the highest rated rookie quarterbacks of all time 
including a loss here to the Texans, no less, who have easily the worst roster in the NFL. So this has been a dumpster fire, and he is just pouring gas on top of that fire right now. Now, he might be a great college football coach. I'll give him that. But I didn't like this hire from day one. And as an NFL coach and a leader, Urban Meyer is a joke, Ty. And he's turned this franchise into a punchline. Week one, to be fair to the Jacksonville Jaguars, is this is Trevor Lawrence's first start in the NFL. And he may have lost to the Texans, but you got to think about this. He's never really seen exotic packages and defenses that are coming his way. So I got to kind of save face about that. The Jaguars are still young and there's all a new offense. A lot of the offensive pieces that they're known to have haven't been here long or have just gotten there with Trevor Lawrence. You also have Marvin Jones being another name to throw into the fray. And then you have guys like, uh, you know, Chark who isn't available. Uh, ATN gets hurt and he's out for the season too. So they're having unfortunate injuries to go along with this situation. So I, I kind of want to be fair to at least the roster or the team. Now, to look at this situation with Urban Meyer is a bother because he knows what he's facing. And every team that he's coached, when something went down, he left. Whether it was Bowling Green and him going to Utah. And in Utah, when Alex Smith went to the league, he didn't have the, the powerful presence that he had with the Utes. He went to Florida. And then next thing you know, he's with Chris Leak and uh, Tim Tebow. These guys leave and he goes to Ohio State because all, all of the talent left uh, Gainesville. He gets to Ohio State, and then you watch Ezekiel Elliott and, and Cardell Jones leave, get a national championship, and he doesn't have the same quality of players that he's used to having. He sits down for a little bit and has the opportunity to come to the NFL, I guess, to sit around Trevor Lawrence because this guy is a, a talent. No, li no, no lie about that situation. It's just that he has to hit the ground running. But he needs to hurry up and save himself, not now, but right now, being Urban Meyer. And, and I'm not forgiving either because it's like he's been giving these uh, ever so many chances and there's been so many coaches in the same situation that have not been given the same uh, gratitude. I'm not calling for his job. I'm just saying that this just shows such poor judgment and such poor leadership by a guy in a leadership role. I'm not impressed with what I've seen on the field, and I'm especially not impressed with the decisions that he's made off the field. It's a bad look for them, and if he doesn't turn it around quickly, he's going to be back in college football before you know it. But Ty, I want to jump into some of these games here. There were some big time NFL games this weekend. The first one I want to touch on really opened some eyes. I know it opened my eyes. The Arizona Cardinals take care of business big time against the LA Rams 37 to 20. After LA had moved to the NFL favorites, according to Vegas, the Cardinals go into SoFi Stadium and absolutely dismantle the Rams and become the only 4-0 team in the NFL was this a coming out party for Arizona, Ty? I don't even think it's a coming out party. I think it's more or less a situation where these guys know each other. It's a division battle. Both of them are fighting to stay unbeaten. I don't I don't feel like that's even a rightful situation to say a coming out party where they're taking care of business up against some quality teams, including being the Tennessee Titan team in Nashville. Kyler Murray's ready for this. He's already taken those first two seasons on the chin as best as he can. They added a new weapon in A.J. Green, and A.J. Green is actually catching passes and touchdowns and making them count. Larry Fitzgerald, if you hear my everlasting voice on this network, please get back out there and play football because you're not fully retired yet. <laughs> Try to help this team get a ring because I am not a Cardinals fan, but I would love to see you leave the game with a ring and you have the potential there where the defense is playing well and the offense that's high-powered and a quarterback that could buy time and not only by time, he is not scared to scramble, which makes him an additional running back back there. I think that makes it tons of pressure for that L.A. Rams team where they bank and pry and prowl for Aaron Donald to make plays back there. If he's able to be elusive and get away from Aaron Donald, that makes it a game. For them to put up 40 on the Rams in their backyard, I'm scratching my head on what everybody was hype about with the Rams because I knew this would finally come for this team right now. So they'll, they'll end up winning their fair share games. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of season left. But they, they're going to have to play this Cardinals team again. This will take place on the week of December 13th. That, that Monday is the 13th. The Rams have to lick their wounds. The Cardinals cannot fall victim to gloating too high or knocking off an undefeated. I agree with everything you just said there, Ty. I had Alex Clancy of the Locked On Podcast Network who covers the Arizona Cardinals this offseason. He came on the show and he blasted this team and especially Cliff Kingsbury. And I have to be the first to admit, I was not a believer in Cliff Kingsbury. I was not a believer in Kyler Murray when they came into the league. And I had my doubts about them. But Kyler Murray in this team 
have really started to make me believe, Ty, because this offense is multiple in the ways that it attacks defenses. It gives you all types of different looks. They are fast. They're efficient. They're putting up big-time points. And Arizona's run defense, to me, it's still a question mark, but they held the Rams to 20 points when they came into this game averaging 32 points per game. So I got to give some credit to that defense as well. You're right about A.J. Green. You're right about his presence and still having some gas left in the tank. How good are the Arizona Cardinals, Ty? To me, I may be jumping the gun and saying this, and I can be wrong, but for him, to me, I feel like he's a, an image of Russell Wilson. He's been seeing Russell Wilson two times a season, already kind of picking his brain as much as he possibly can on the field. I know they probably have a rapport as friends or knowing each other, being able to speak to one another, and he knows what it takes now. He's been able to play the Niners so many different times, knowing how he could actually build off of experience and uh, coming up with these big games, with whether in the division or not. He's still running the table. They haven't lost yet, and this builds confidence whether it's division, whether it's NFC Championship, I don't know if this Super Bowl ready, but this could all be on the spectrum for a guy that knows what it takes to get this done. And this would be icing on the cake to help spell all the people that we're talking about Kingsbury, including yourself or including others that came to the network that have spoken ill about him. And he's surviving just fine by setting these plays up or scripting a, a playbook that works out well for the quarterback and the offense altogether. I've been really impressed, like I said, with what they've done, the creative packages they put together, the play calling has been immaculate, and Kyler Murray has been electric. There's no denying it. These guys have really got something going in Arizona, and I've got to give you credit, Ty, because when we did our NFL predictions episode, you took the Arizona Cardinals in this loaded division. You picked them to win the NFC West. I thought it was a bold take. I hadn't heard a single media-related person who covers the NFL, whether it's podcasters, writers, radio, you name it. I didn't hear anybody taking Arizona to win this division. Now, you alluded there's a lot of football left. This division is deep, and a lot can change in a hurry in this league. We know that. But so far, so good on that prediction, Ty. Hats off to you with the 4-0 start for the Cardinals. I want to shift, Ty, to a game that almost everybody watched. This was a huge game, a ton of buildup to this one, a ton of drama. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers facing the New England Patriots up in Foxborough. It was Brady versus Belichick for the first time ever. This was a huge game in that regard. I think everyone was paying attention to this headline. Brady goes back to Foxborough to face his old team, his old coach. The drama was thick. It it wasn't a high-scoring affair. It was kind of nasty out. It was rainy up there in your part of the country, made for a low-scoring game. What was your main takeaway from this one, Ty? <laughs> Brady's the GOAT. Um, and the crazy part about that is, is looking at knowing Belichick's seen everything in the past two decades of this guy and still having a tough time having to deal with it, whether the inclement, whether, whether he has weapons around him or not, it's still awesome to see Brady go out there and play. And just knowing this area of New England, knowing the Boston fans, knowing the Boston people, they did as much as they can to cheer for him when he came out of the tunnel and made him feel special before the game started. As soon as he took the field, Boston, or a.k.a. Foxborough, turned into themselves and started booing Tom Brady. Excellent storyline already. It's like they have to stay true to their narrative, regardless if we like it or not. And Mac Jones came out there and played some awesome ball to make this a good game. And there's the story of a guy named Brady, you know, the, the song from the Brady Bunch. They were down in the fourth quarter. He has to rev this team up, get them all the way downfield, and win another game again in front of his own old fans. Or I can still call them his fans because everybody was there with a 12 jersey on in blue. Everybody. So it's like knowing that they know they get to talk all of their junk about winning championships, and he's the reason. Great storyline, and knowing that the Buccaneers had to do it and they're down so many different pieces, whether it's within the defense, the offense clicked somewhat. I have my question marks about uh, Mike Evans at the same time, too, but they did just enough to knock off the Patriots in Gillette. Yeah, it was a big win for him, an emotional win, I'm sure. You hit it on the head, all the 12 jerseys and the signs and all the love for Brady, but when push comes to shove, they're going to root for their pats, and, and that's understandable, but this was a fun game. For being a low-scoring game, this was actually a lot of fun to watch. My takeaway from this game really is, tied that this Bucks offense 
suddenly is struggling in the red zone. I think that's a storyline that people aren't really talking about. Now, this New England defense is pretty good. Don't get me wrong. But we've seen this a couple weeks in a row now where they're not getting it done, where early in the season they seemed automatic when they got into the red zone. I'm sure that'll probably correct itself throughout the season, but I've got some concerns about that right now. Now, granted, they don't have Rob Gronkowski. They didn't have him for this game. So he's a big red zone threat, as we know, for Tom, and that's definitely playing a factor the defense for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is really banged up, especially in that secondary after losing Carlton Davis as well in this game to injury and safety Antoine Winfield Jr. also left with a concussion. Richard Sherman looks old. I know they brought this guy in because they've got so many injuries in that secondary, but man, he looked old. He looked slow. And this is a Band-Aid over a cut that needs stitches. And until they get some of these guys back, this pass defense is going to get ugly in Tampa Bay. For the offensive situation, they haven't been healthy after that Dallas game. Uh, they had Antonio Brown out due to a COVID situation. Gronkowski taking a huge hit up against the Rams, looking similar to the hit that he took in New England. I think they were playing the Broncos that game where he took a bad hit in his back and uh, left him out for a couple of games, and, and it, it, it looked identical. So them going out there not at full strength, once you get to see them at full strength, you still have to worry about Godwin, A.B., Gronk, and Evans all going out for pass plays, and whatever running back is behind them in Rojo or Fournette, they all have that together. If they're not all together, you have a legit shot to make this tough. You can send a blitz at Brady and try to make him erratic when he's older, but he's still the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. So they're still able to finish games with or drives with field goals and still able to knock these wins out. So I can't really poo-poo them on the bad side or the good side. They're doing what they can with what they have and uh, still remaining successful. One loss at this point in time in the season. Yeah, and that's fair, Ty. And the big storyline, as we know, was Brady and Belichick. But what kind of got lost in this, and you touched on it briefly, was Mac Jones. This kid was awesome. And I'm starting to buy in, Ty. This kid is poised. He's accurate. He's smart with the football. He completed 19 straight passes at one point in this game. And he put the Pats in a position to win late with a field goal try that just missed going off that upright. I was really impressed with what I saw from Mac Jones. This build moxie, it builds character, going up against somebody that I know he's trying to emulate. There's no way that they can say that they didn't try to be Tom Brady. So going up against them and being able to compete and being inches away from a, a field goal that could push overtime or hopefully, which everybody's been clamoring about, if Bill Belichick should have went for the fourth down play to extend the drive and help them either get a closer field goal or score a touchdown, where the numbers say that he made the wrong decision by kicking that field goal from 57 yards out where the longest kick focus made is 55. So you put a lot of pressure on him in the rain. So this actually question marks Bill Belichick uh, play calling at that point in time where I don't want to hold him too heavy to the heat, but this is the situation that he has to address and he'll end up dodging the bullet because the game is over and everybody's more in line to the spectacle seeing Brady and Belichick go at it. Yeah, and he's been a guy that's really faded away from analytics. He's had quotes in the past about how he doesn't really buy too much into analytics, and he coaches more with his gut. And let's face it, how can you argue with the greatest coach of all time? But yeah, that one backfired on him, certainly. And it was a long kick in the rain. You know, in hindsight, 2020, he'd probably go back and make a different decision there. But all in all, pretty entertaining game. Like we talked about with the Bucks, this team is still really banged up. A lot of these guys are expected to come back. But are the Bucks still the team to beat in the NFC, Ty? Uh, without a doubt. And there was uh, a feature that I wanted to get to defensively um, with the, the injuries that they have at in the secondary, at least. They had to at least bring somebody in there. And with them having Richard Sherman, he may be slow because he's fresh off the streets. He's not in game shape as of the first three games went down. And I'm not going to say he's going to build up the speed out of nowhere to be able to keep up with these stronger, faster receivers at this point in time. But at least he has the IQ to be in the right place at the right time. When these guys start to all get healthy, he could play the defensive backfield and might move to a safety if possible, kind of like what Rod Woodson did or Charles Woodson did and be an extra corner if these guys get beat knowing what these receivers like to do. But knowing that they have that much more brilliance on the defensive side of the ball where, what, Richard Sherman's been to, what, three Super Bowls? Without a doubt, Tom Brady is the guy to beat. Everybody's worried about Tom in the month of January. Yeah, I'm definitely not giving up on this team by any stretch. In a close game, in a late game situation, 
there's still nobody I trust in the NFL more than Brady and the Bucks right now. But another huge game, the Monday night football game between the L.A. Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders, the Chargers took care of business 28-14. This game got interesting for a little bit there in the third quarter after the Chargers went out to a big 21-0 lead. The Chargers are now in the driver's seat of one of the best divisions in the NFL after beating the then-undefeated Raiders at home. I say home here, and uh, I know you can't see me because of the podcast, but I'm doing air quotes here where they reported 70 to maybe even 80% of the crowd was wearing silver and black. So this was a really impressive win in that regard for the L.A. Chargers. Back-to-back huge wins for L.A. over KC and now Las Vegas. This is a great situation with Justin Herbert not only proving himself early in the season to be 3-1 and one at this point in time and being atop the AFC West right now, in which the Chargers now have the edge over the Raiders to be in first, whether they're 3-1 and one or not. The Raiders are now down the tiebreaker with the Chargers winning this game. And for this guy to have the experience now to not only beat a Mahomes team in Kansas City, but beating a red-hot Raider team that's 3-0, and leading the league in yards per game and passing yards a game, they're averaging 400 yards passing a game. This is a season where Derek Carr is looking electric. A lot of those situations where we we would think Derek Carr would crumble, he's making those passes and they're on the money, and he has so much touch with the ball. A lot of these times, these Raider receivers were letting him down. The only one that was really showing up was Waller and Renfro here and there. Like, Renfro was, you know, having to do a lot more on the field. He's no longer a secret, so his defenses know about him. But I definitely have to tip my hat to what the Chargers were able to do in this game. Um, Just like you said, I seen it. The people I was watching the game with, I was like, do y'all see the bottom half of the bowl is all black? Like, it was dark. Like, they were really in the black hole. And and he's still able to make a difference while that crowd was being severely loud every play call. And the home team isn't even a home team. Knowing that he's been able to deal with this, this is his second season in the league and looking dynamic as he was last year, but they just didn't put those wins together. Now they're winning games. The only one I'm worried about is Eckler because Eckler was actually hobbling around, but he still was able to be effective within the offense, including a score also. So we might have another team gracing the AFC West, and it's early in his career. So it's dynamic that as young as Mahomes is and being dynamic as he's been dominating the AFC or his division, Herbert might step in there and be the new sheriff. But we'll see. This is going to be early. I'm still giving Mahomes Jr. Don't, don't think I'm going away from Patrick in that track meet of the Kansas City Chiefs. But Herbert just made this interesting, not only knocking off the Chiefs, but he just came around and beat the Raiders while they were in their home field. Yeah, Justin Herbert is entering the early MVP conversation. Really crazy to think coming into this because we saw how good he was as a rookie. But he has clearly taken another step here early on in this season. He was 25 for 38 with three touchdowns. He threw some absolute lasers, some dimes. I mean, absolutely gorgeous balls in this game and really pushed them to that big early lead. Like I said, Vegas, you got to give them credit. They're a good second half team. They made a push. They made it interesting. But when push came to shove, Herbert let him down the field again for another touchdown to put it away. I was really impressed. This offense is so balanced. I love the play calling that the Chargers have shown so far this year. I love what the new coaching staff has done. Austin Eckler, you touched on him. He was big in this game. I mean, he really provided that balance. It set up the play-action pass. It really got this Raiders defense on tilt there for a while. The Chargers defense on the other side was awesome in the first half, only giving up 51 yards. But the Raiders made adjustments. Like I said, they came back to within seven. But Herbert was clutch, responded with a 10-play, 58-yard touchdown drive to put the game out of reach. How good are the L.A. Chargers? The only thing they have to worry about now is if that secondary can stay solid and healthy for the remainder of the season. And also if Joey Bosa can actually play stronger because he's not himself. I don't want to say he's slower or anything because he's still a, a monster just like his brother Nick. He actually made a couple of plays, but not like the the way he was two years ago when they got to the playoffs and Brady and the Patriots figured him out. But um, I want them to get to that strong unit. If that defense could keep up with the offense – They're going to be thorough, and I really think that they could actually push the Chiefs for being the best team in that division. They beat the Raiders, so it's kind of like they have the leg up in that part of the discussion. 
The Raiders defense is still their question mark. The Chargers have only the Chiefs in their way right now, and especially with the Broncos having Teddy Bridgewater get hit and having to deal with protocol of a concussion, we'll see how that actually ends up panning out if he's able to play this next game because I'm not confident in Drew Locke, and their defense has actually been holding a lot of it together while Teddy Bridgewater has been doing just enough to help win the game. If Drew Locke can't put points on the board, Denver may end up falling too, and this just may be a one-game situation. But right now, the Chargers have the lead in the AFC West in the first quarter of the season. I want to shift gears here, Ty, to college football because we also saw two impressive upsets that I want to get to here. The only thing that we know right now about college football is that we know nothing. This season has been unbelievably unpredictable. We have seen so much shakeup. Five top 20 upsets this past weekend, including two in the top 10 that, like I said, I want to touch on here. I want to start out West in the Pac-12 where we saw Oregon, number three Oregon, lose to Stanford on the road. This was a head-scratcher tie. This is a team that had a huge win against Ohio State, was in the driver's seat to possibly get back to a college football playoff, and they just absolutely came out flat versus the Stanford Cardinal with just over two minutes to go. Oregon trying to run out the clock. They decide to pass on second down, incomplete on the throw, which gives Stanford an extra 40-plus seconds of clock with a timeout when they punted the ball back to them with a minute and 51 to go and a seven-point lead. At that point in time, Ty, according to ESPN, the Ducks had a 99.9% chance of winning this game. But after multiple penalties, they allowed Stanford to drive 87 yards, send it to overtime, and ultimately win in overtime This was a baffling loss by the Ducks and a huge win for the Stanford Cardinal. This is a terrible loss. This is unexcusable. And I wonder what Cristobal is able to say to this team to get them to bounce back. Obviously, they're a top 10 ranked team. This is a game that you have to have. And this was a game where you guys should have been able to score more because historically, we know the Ducks have been able to be that team that could put up anywhere from like about 34 plus a game and don't come out here and do this in a game up against Stanford where I feel like Stanford's not fully themselves. They come up with some surprising victories this season. But to me, if this was a game 10 out of 10, Oregon would be the better team, but this was a nine out of 10 and they got figured out. And the crazy part about this is, is looking at Oregon. I feel like they should have been able to be in this discussion for the college playoff. And I think that with this loss, this may hurt them as other teams may catapult them and may not lose uh, or lose ground in this scenario. So I I feel real unfortunate for what the Oregon Ducks are able to face at this point in time. Granted, Stanford is probably raging charged up to take that on, but I feel like Stanford will probably end up losing another game down the road. This is an unranked team up against a number three ranked Ducks team in the nation. You can avoid these situations and not being close to these teams if you already have them flattened and they're trying to figure out their offense on the fly and you're already coasting. Again, get these guys out of the way, win these games, and then Come back to the drawing board on how you could come back to these situations better. But obviously, Oregon was not prepared. This is inexcusable. I'm I'm not letting them dodge this bullet at all. The Cardinal, good job. You did this and and played well within the conference. Could potentially be the big dog of the conference until further notice, until December comes and uh, a conference championship comes about. But right now, I'm not I'm not excusing Oregon by any means. They've had a lot of discourse, and you having the you know coach throw the the tablet on the ground because he's been frustrated with the defensive play, things of that nature. So I, there's there's a lot of disruption, if, if I say the least bit, about what Oregon's been able to go through, even with the big win up against Ohio State, which is a great win for them. But now they're going to have to run the table. I think the Ducks are held to the fire to win everything out so they can at least be somewhat of a talk to be in the playoffs. Yeah, you're right, Ty, because I think their college football playoff chances are basically vanished with this loss. If they win out and some teams lose in front of them, we know how crazy college football has been this year. So they're certainly not out of it in that regard because we don't know what's coming each week. There's been tons of upsets and maybe they climb back into this race, but right now it does not look good. And I touched on the coaching. Mario Cristobal has been awesome for this program since he took over a few years ago. There's no doubt about that. He has took the recruiting to a whole nother level. He's built this roster up to where it can compete with some of the elite programs like Ohio State. 
But in this game, this was a coaching failure by Oregon. Make no mistake about it. A team that came in flat, like I said, and clearly was reading its own headlines a bit too much. They did not look anything like that team that beat Ohio State on the road. And I want to give credit to David Shaw real quick, the Stanford head coach. This guy is the most underrated coach in the country. If I counted correctly here, Ty, that's now seven wins for Stanford while he was the head coach over AP top 10 teams and six over AP top five teams. He's also won 14 times versus the top 25 and is 93 and 38 as a head coach. And this is at an academic school here. So he has a serious disadvantage when it comes to recruiting. It's much harder to get highly rated athletes to come to Stanford than it is a place like Oregon or some of these other bigger programs. And all this guy does is win at an incredible level and upset and outcoach teams like he did on Saturday. So hats off to him. But yeah, this was a massive upset. No doubt about it. From a roster standpoint, there's no reason Oregon should be losing this game. And they were just completely outcoached and outplayed in this one. But another college football upset that I want to get to here, Ty, that really shocked the nation was in the SEC when Kentucky took down number 10 Florida after nearly beating number one Alabama in week three. Florida looked like a potential top five team, Ty. We talked about it right here on this podcast. They looked like a legit SEC contender, and they came out and got beat by the Kentucky Wildcats. What are your first thoughts on this game? The crazy part about this is never underestimate anybody. This is the same scenario that I just said about Oregon playing up against Stanford, knowing that they are the better team. It doesn't matter if you're going on the road and going into Lexington to play that game. You guys have to compete to win this game. They say you guys are the best conference in college football where you have to play and act like it because now you got caught, stubbed your toe. Now you're going to have to build this momentum back up, and who knows what the committee is going to do with you with one loss. It'll be an unfortunate situation that you guys run the table and fall short. It'll be an uncomfortable situation if Oregon runs the table and falls short because the committee is dealing with more unbeatens or teams that have had a better strength of schedule. So you guys have to play consistently. I feel bad because the situation in Gainesville is kind of different. They don't really have their eyes set on one quarterback. Both of them are successful, but it's like the offense has to kind of figure out which one is going, which one isn't, and they really can't build that cohesiveness or that momentum off of one of these guys or the other. So uh, the Gators actually unfortunately lost this game up against the Wildcats. This is a huge win for Kentucky uh, being an SEC play. And again, like I said about Oregon, Florida's held to the same standard. They both are going to have to win out. And I don't know if either of them can do this at this point in time. This was a huge win for Kentucky. Kentucky won with big plays in this game, Ty. A 41-yard touchdown and a blocked kick for a touchdown. Florida's run defense got gashed in this game, giving up 99 yards on the ground by Chris Rodriguez. That was really shocking to me that they couldn't stop the run. This was an undefeated Kentucky team on paper, don't get me wrong, but they had no business beating Florida. Let's face it, from a roster standpoint, we just talked about it a minute ago with Stanford and Oregon. From a roster standpoint, this is a total mismatch. And this past weekend, losing to unranked Kentucky, who barely beat Chattanooga a couple weeks ago, it is completely unacceptable, like you said, Ty. This was a massive upset. This was the first time Kentucky beat Florida at home since 1986. So this was pretty impressive with what they did, and it really makes me rethink what we saw from Florida a couple weeks ago when they took Alabama down to the wire. Clearly, they're not quite as good as we thought, or they sleptwalk in this game. It's hard to say. I kind of feel like maybe they overlooked Kentucky a little bit, a lot like Oregon did Stanford, but a big-time upset nonetheless. Now, we had already seen more ranked teams lose through week four than any other time in the AP poll era. And in week five, nine more teams lost. This college football season has been absolutely crazy. Ty, as of today, only Alabama and Georgia look truly elite to me. Those are really the cream of the crop with what they did this weekend, just destroying ranked teams and looking so impressive. And even those teams, Ty, both have close wins versus Clemson and Florida. Even those teams are somewhat vulnerable, so to speak. As great as they've looked, the Georgia defense could be historically good. We saw how impressive Alabama was against Ole Miss. This college football season just keeps getting crazier. 
You're not lying, and nobody's safe. I don't care how strongly you rank your teams in within the committee. Um, I don't think any of these teams will leave it. The parity's there, and these guys are out here playing their best breed of football, and this is their really first quarter of the season as well. I mean, they're going into the second quarter as of now, but nobody's actually – scared of these players anymore they're, they're going to come out here and do their best job to actually take what's in front of them and win these games and it's better if they're at home because now they get the fans on their side whether it's a strong team or not for kentucky to knock off florida as strong as florida is that that says a lot even though kentucky has a strong passing offense i, I feel like florida's a better team and these teams are ready for these challenges so across the board it's great to see football at this point i, I never could believe that you know a team that could be unranked be the top five team regardless of how we look at it, whether they're at home or on the road, it could potentially happen. Yep, it's been an absolute blast, Ty. It'll be fun to see what happens this weekend. And, of course, it's time for PGF Power Rankings. I'm going to update it for you guys. Last week, I did my quarterback rankings, mixed it up a little bit. It's time to get back to the the team power rankings, the traditional top 10 that we do here on PGF. A lot of shakeup here, Ty, since the last time we did this. At number 10, I've got the LA Chargers. We just talked about this team on Monday Night Football. This is a team that's one field goal away from being 4-0. The new head coach, I've talked about how good he's been and has really changed the culture for them. This defense looks like it's for real. I love the balance I've seen. I really like what I've seen from the LA Chargers. At number nine, I've got the Cleveland Browns. OBJ and Baker doesn't work. I mean, let's face it. This is probably one of the most shocking things about this team. Landry is clearly the key to this team. The run game is elite, but Baker Mayfield is the weak link on this team. He played absolutely terrible last week, but the Browns still won. And when you see something like that, that tells you that this is a good football team. When your quarterback can play that poorly and the rest of your team can pick you up and still get a win, it's showing that the Browns have really turned the corner and have become a very good team in this league. At number eight, I've got the Baltimore Ravens. This is a team that's been really hard to figure out. They could easily be 4-0, Ty, but they also could be 1-3. They've been in a lot of close games. They've had some go their way and some not. They looked pretty good this last weekend with a big win. And Lamar Jackson continues to improve as a passer. They've got a top five coach in the NFL in Harbaugh. He has been so consistent there. This team is always going to be competitive with him at the helm. The run game opens up wide open passes for wide receivers because they're so afraid of the threat of Lamar Jackson being able to run the ball. He is getting those big plays down the field, and all this team does is win. At number seven, I've got the Dallas Cowboys. Ty, you made the bold statement last week of saying the Dallas Cowboys are a Super Bowl contender. At the time, I was thinking, wow, that's a really hot take here. But I think you were one week ahead of the national media because all day today on ESPN Radio and some of these other outlets, I keep hearing people say, are the Cowboys a contender? Are the Cowboys a contender? Well, nobody was saying that a week ago except you. So hats off to you. You were really ahead of this thing from what you've seen from Dallas. And I'm starting to agree with you. This defense has really improved. I love what I've seen from them. And the offense is explosive. I expected this game against the Panthers to be much closer. I took the Panthers in my pick six to cover this game. I thought it would be close. And the Cowboys really pulled away. I was super impressed with what I've seen from them. At number six, I've got the L.A. Rams. This is a team that really came out flat versus Arizona, but they still have an elite defense, I believe, in that side of the ball. Even though they got carved up, I think Kyler Murray is going to do that to most teams. I expect them to adjust and get back on track, but the offense is going to be a problem for anybody in this league. They've got weapons. They've got Stafford. They've got the play calling. I still believe in this team long-term, but they definitely took one on the chin this weekend. And coming off of that win versus Tampa Bay, I kind of expected a little bit of a letdown in this one, so it's not completely surprising. At number five, I've got the Green Bay Packers. The Packers have won three in a row. The defense is starting to play better. I like what I've seen from them. They really got after the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend, a team that is in a free fall for sure. But I really like what I'm seeing from the offense is starting to click. Randall Cobb has actually made an appearance in this game with two touchdowns. He was kind of quiet these first couple weeks. It seems like he's starting to fit back into this offense and his familiarity with Aaron Rodgers. I certainly didn't see that coming. 
but they were able to really protect Aaron Rodgers, and they're missing some key offensive linemen because that Steelers pass rush is legit, and they couldn't get to Rodgers. This whole line is really underrated. I think the defense is underrated, and the Packers are suddenly in the mix again. At number four, I've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We talked about them earlier. The pass defense is now the worst in the NFL with all those injuries. I think that's going to be a problem going forward until they get some of these guys back. But here's the thing, Ty. They didn't play all that well against New England, and they still pulled out the win. That's the sign of a championship-level team, and that's why I'm not ready to give up on them by any stretch. Haven't looked as good as they did early in the season, but like I said, you've got Brady, you've got all these offensive weapons and guys coming back. I think they're going to be just fine. At number three, I've got the Kansas City Chiefs. The biggest issue for the Chiefs is, quite frankly, that defense is terrible. It is not very good, but the offense only has one three and out this entire season so far. They've got the best offensive play caller and designer possibly in the history of the NFL. They still have all those weapons. They can still outscore just about anybody in the NFL at any given time. The defense is a, a concern for me, though. They, this is going to be a major problem for them. I'm really not sure how they fix it. it. They're really a one-sided team right now with the offense being as good as they are and the defense suddenly becoming one of the worst in the NFL. But when you've got Patrick Mahomes in that offense and the track meet, as you call them, I think they're still a very dangerous team in the AFC. At number two, I've got the Buffalo Bills. Right now, the Buffalo Bills have the best point differential in the NFL. Josh Allen is elite. He's really taken that next step from what we saw last year where he put himself in the MVP conversation. One of the best young quarterbacks in the entire NFL. This is a really well-coached team. They're dynamic. They've got playmakers at multiple positions. The defense is starting to come around, and this is a dangerous team who just looked really good. Granted, against a bad team, but they looked razor sharp these last couple of weeks, and I've been impressed with what I've seen from Buffalo after that week one loss to Pittsburgh. And at number one, I've got the Arizona Cardinals, the only 4-0 team left in the NFL. They are explosive. We talked about them. They're dynamic on offense. Veterans A.J. Green and J.J. Watt have brought some leadership to this team. I really love what I've seen. And they've got 400-plus yards and 30-plus points in every game this year. They are going to be a handful for whoever they face. I don't know if they're going to stay at this number one spot as the weeks go on, but right now it's hard to argue that they haven't been the most impressive team so far in the NFL. So, Ty, tell me where I'm right and where am I wrong on the PGF Power Rankings. Whoa, Nelly, we got a lot of shaking up to do. The crazy part about this is you don't even have the Raiders ranked. They suffer one loss and they're out of there against a Charger team who's in this discussion. Like, this is baffling to me. So I really feel like the Raiders should get some just due for the damage that they've done in their leading the league and passing yards. You have the Cowboys lower than the Rams, and I feel they're a better team than the Rams. I'm going to actually blow your lid right now. The Dallas Cowboys are a better team than the Green Bay Packers right now. I am not thrilled with the way that the Packers have been winning games right now. I feel like they could have put up more points on the board up against Pittsburgh while Pittsburgh is struggling. And Ben Roethlisberger, look, he looks bad at this point in time. So just like you stated a little bit earlier, are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the team to beat? They're 3-1. and one. They went into Gillette, played in a hostile environment, in the rain, and they're fourth ranked. I, I question that. There, there's a 2-2 two and two team that's up here by the grace of God. And also with you uh, picking on... Baker Mayfield, at least he's able to get it done right now. A lot of people continue to point their fingers at Baker, but Baker's doing the best job that he can with this Browns team, including dealing with injury with Landry. So Landry being out, him having to try to get this figured out on the fly. Come on, these people have to wait till he loses a string of games. Like, let me see like a two or three game losing streak before they keep just saying, oh, it's all Baker's fault. It's all Baker's fault. I think that defense is actually surviving off the energy that they throw to their quarterback. And also looking at Baltimore, Baltimore has one loss. If he didn't uh, cough the ball up in that overtime, I think they'd be 4-0 and and uh, should be up higher than they are right now, doing it with all patchwork offense, especially in their running backfield. They don't have any of the runners from last year. Le'Veon is coming now too, so they're saying that this upcoming Sunday, I think he may be potentially out there on the field. 
So knowing that they're trying to get stronger as this season progresses, for them to go into a hostile environment in Denver while they were unbeaten and pulled this off and knocked Teddy Bridgewater out of the game, I, I shake my head at a lot of what's going on here. Again, I think Dallas moves up. You have to put the Raiders somewhere in this top 10. It's surprising that you're going with Arizona because I actually went with them before the season started. I never thought they would be number one, but across the board in different venues, they're saying that they are the number one power ranked team. I don't know how a lot of people still ride with the Rams, but they just gave up basically 40. And this is the defense that a lot of people are fearing. Uh, I think we need to reassess the situation. <laughs> well, I love it, Ty. I can't push back too much, except I will say I can't put the Raiders ahead of the Chargers after they just lost to them. And, and after the Chargers have now beaten Kansas City and the Raiders, I couldn't take them above them. The Browns, the reason I've got them only at nine, and like I said about Baker, when I look at this top 10 list, he's easily the worst quarterback in my top 10. And so because of that, it's hard for me to elevate them ahead of some of these other teams because I feel like he really is the weak link. I think he's a game manager. I think he's a decent quarterback. But we just saw him play one of his worst games against one of the worst secondaries in the NFL this week and was really bailed out by his teammates, the defensive performance, and the running game. I think he's a very average quarterback at best, and that's really what's holding them back from being a top-five type of team, in my opinion. I almost put the Cowboys higher. I'm gonna. I'm not going to lie to you. I had a hard time with the Cowboys. I, I really like what I've seen. I think they're a team that could climb these, these rankings quickly. They beat up on the Panthers. I was impressed by that, but I still have some questions about the Panthers, and they didn't have Christian McCaffrey as well, their best player. The Chiefs is tough because I feel like we saw them kind of bounce back this week. Against Philly, not a good team, but they really looked good on the offensive side of the ball. They started to light it up. The defense is a huge question mark like we talked about, but I have a hard time thinking that they're not going to be in the mix here in the AFC with arguably the best quarterback in the league, all those playmakers, one of the best coaches in the league. So it's hard for me to put them too far down the list, even though they've been off to a kind of a shaky start by their standards. But I get what you're saying, Ty. I love the comments. I love the feedback. And I think it's all fair with what you're saying, certainly. But Ty, it's time for my favorite segment. So many other people's favorite segment here on PGF. Pick six. We're going to give you our best six bets of the upcoming week in college football and the NFL. Ty, why don't you kick it off here? I'm going to go on a limb. Michigan in Nebraska. I think Nebraska has been playing better bat football, but I think Michigan wins this game uh, giving three and a half on the road. I think with that impressive win up against Wisconsin, I feel like Michigan could be making strides to get back to relevancy across the board. I'll take Michigan giving three and a half and a night game. I absolutely love that bet. I think that Michigan is really starting to put it together here. Nebraska, I have not had faith in this team since they started the season. They've shown me nothing to convince me otherwise. I think Michigan's clearly the better team. I'm shocked that Michigan isn't a heavier favorite in this one. I would have expected them to be at least a six and a half or even seven point favorite. Three and a half, I feel more than comfortable laying those points. So I'm with you on that one, Ty. I'm going to start here on Thursday night football. In the NFL, Rams, Seahawks, this is a big NFC West showdown. Rams coming off a blowout loss to Arizona and Seattle coming off a win over San Francisco where they were actually outgained by 223 net yards in that game. I don't believe in the Seahawks outside of Russell Wilson. I, I feel like him and some of these playmakers are about all they have and some Outside of that, I'm really not sure what this team does well. Now, I expect a refocused, sharp Rams team that bounces back knowing that they've got to keep the pace here in this loaded NFC West division. So I expect a huge effort from them. I'm going to lay the two points and take the Rams on Thursday night football. Okay, the next one I have, I'm going out on a limb, people. And I don't know if you want to run with me, but he said I got to build this one back up. I'm going to start early on Saturday. Texas with the upset over Oklahoma getting three and a half. I'll take the points and I think Texas wins outright. Do that across the board, line and money line. So you got Texas plus three and a half and the money line. Yes, I think they win this game outright. Uh, enough is enough with Oklahoma just squeezing by week after week. And Texas needs something to spark that university. This is a game, Red River rivalry. Everything's on the line. October is here. This is a game the Longhorns need. If otherwise, they fall out of top 25. 
Ty, I love this pick too. This is actually a pick that I consider taking here on the pick six. I love that bet. I love Texas in this spot. You know they're going to be fired up for the rivalry. And you're right. Oklahoma just keeps skating by against inferior competition week in and week out. I think that they are easily the biggest paper tiger in the top 10 right now. And I think Texas gets it done. I'm with you, and I love your play with putting some money on the money line as well. So I love that pick, Ty. I'm going to move to the NFL, or excuse me, I'm going to get back to the NFL here, Ty. And I'm going to take the Miami Dolphins getting 10 and a half versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa. This is a bet the number game, not the team. This is where you've got to kind of bite the bullet here and take the points because we talked about this Buck secondary. It is absolutely terrible right now with all the injuries and no Gronkowski in this game for Brady. Bucks coming off that big emotional game versus New England, going up against Brian Flores, the former assistant coach at New England. He knows Brady better than most people, and we saw how big that was last week when Belichick faced Brady. So I've got Miami taking the 10 and a half here. It's a big number, and I think it's just too big of a number. Now, Miami has really not played very well these last couple of weeks, but this is still a really good roster. This is a team that most people thought would be a playoff team. Inflated line here at plus 10 and a half. It's too much value for me to ignore, so I'm going to take the Dolphins and the points. Last but not least, in the NFL, that Monday night football game in Baltimore, the Colts may be in deep trouble. For this game, I'm going with the Ravens giving a touchdown. I think this can get messy early, especially with ball control being able to run the ball. I think Lamar is kind of calming down, feeling this out, and he gets another weapon. If Le'Veon is a full go, they have at least their running game together. This should open up the passing game as well. I'm going with the Ravens to win big, I at least say double digits. Man, I'll tell you, Ty, I don't like laying seven points in the NFL very often. I think it's a lot of points to give up, especially versus a Colts team that kind of bounced back last week and started playing a lot better. But I don't hate it because I do think Lamar and this running attack and his big play threat setting up the big passes downfield, I think it's going to be a problem for the Colts, certainly. And it's it's a lot of points to lay in an NFL game, but it's a big spotlight game. The Ravens have kind of got it going now. I love what I saw last week. So I like the take and I like the pick there, Ty, to round out the pick six. I'm going to go back to the Thursday night ESPN college football game, Houston versus Tulane. And I'm going to lay the six points with Houston. Houston is rolling right now, Ty, with four straight wins, putting up 40 plus points in three out of those four games. And Tulane is headed in the opposite direction. They have really played uninspired football. Houston also has an extra day to prepare for this game as well. The line opened at minus four and has already moved to minus six. So that tells me that the sharp money is most likely on Houston. And I'm going to follow the sharp money and take the Cougars and lay the six. That is going to do it for today's Pick 6, and it's also going to do it for today's episode. If you guys enjoy the Pick 6 segment that we do here, you enjoy betting on football games, be sure to follow on Twitter, at PGF Podcast, and the website, pintglassfootball.com, where we post betting picks by Pint Glass Football betting analyst Leland Betancourt. He puts out a bunch of free picks for college and NFL every week, so be sure to follow that if you want to get some extra free picks as well. But that is going to do it for today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it, PGF Nation, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.